Almighty God, we gather this morning in this warm summer day to worship you. We become more aware of the majesty and mystery of your presence both within and among us. We become more aware of the majesty and mystery of your presence in the world. There is no pride in us, O oh God, as we remember in shame that we, your people, your children, have been many when we ought to have been one. That we confused intolerance with faithfulness to your word. That we vaunted narrow-mindedness and bigotry as if it were evidence of saintliness. And that in thought and word and deed we have not always had in us the heart and mind of Jesus. Forgive us, we pray, that which we have been but ought not to have been, both as individuals and as a church. Forgive also that which we have failed to be but should have been. Sweep away our lethargy and selfishness with the wind of your Holy Spirit. Confirm our reliance on hope, our belief that we can create a better world, a better world for all. Open us to the winds of change, to new and never-ending reform, both as individuals and as a church. Keep us restless and searching until we find our true identity, our grounding, and our life in you. God, we gather here this morning in deep gratitude for your many gifts. We celebrate the majesty and mystery of your self-revelation in Jesus of Nazareth, in his birth, his life, his teachings, his death and resurrection. We thank you for sending him to guide us, to teach us, and to make us aware of the healing, transforming, life-giving power of your love. He came to show us what you look like in human form and how a life that is transparent to you, the ground of our being, can transform the world in which we live. He came to show us what we would look like if our hearts were truly enlightened. God, we know that you are both transcendent and imminent. You are both in the highest heavens and within the depths of our soul. Be present to us and our world through your reconciling and healing love. Build bridges of understanding and empathy, bridges of care and compassion between individuals and peoples who are alienated from one another. Remind us that if we are all your children, Jesus taught, then we are all brothers and sisters that we all need to work together to bring about your kingdom on earth. God, we pray for healing for all those whose lives have been devastated by war, social unrest, especially the people of Ukraine and the girls and women of Afghanistan. We pray for healing and strength for all who are the victims of violence within our cities and within our families. Hear our prayer for peace, O oh God, and hear our commitment as individuals and as a church to continue to try to solve what at times seem to be unsolvable problems, to continue to work for peace and justice in your world. O oh God, in these moments of prayer, we hold before you all those whom we know to be in special need. Help them to become aware of your healing presence within them. Bring light and hope to the darkness of their days. These moments of silent prayer we hold before you all whom we know to be in special need.
We ask this our sanctuary prayer and our many prayers, both spoken and unspoken, the spirit of our risen Lord, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The remainder of the summer, we're going to be doing a little Bible study, Sunday morning Bible study. And uh, we're going to be looking at Paul's uh, letter to the Ephesians, of the church at Ephesus. Um, so this morning, I'm going to read the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And the, um, the theme, basic theme is, as you might have noted from the sign out in front of the church, an enlightened heart. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through the, his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet, and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
This ends our scripture lessons for this morning. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. A few weeks ago at Pentecost, we explored what it might mean to experience the Holy Spirit within us. The Apostle Paul, in his letters to the early churches, gives us some hints. He tells us that when this happens, we will experience, we will incarnate what he calls the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul describes one of these gifts. It's a precious gift. A gift that is meant not only for us, but also for the world. The gift is for the world as well as us, because if we have this gift, we can't help sharing it with others. When we incarnate this gift, which accompanies and guides our journey into fullness of life as Christians, the gift not only changes us, it also changes the world in which we live. In the first chapter of this letter, as you just heard, Paul, speaking as a pastor, says that he was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul did not become a pastor out of his own desire or ambition. It was not a career choice, something he wanted to do. It was something he had to do. It was something he couldn't not do. This is the mark of a true call. In his letter, Paul addresses the saints who are in Ephesus. At the time Paul wrote this letter, the church had not begun the process of officially canonizing saints. When Paul uses the term saints, he is not speaking of the giants in the history of our religious tradition. He is speaking to his parishioners. He is speaking to us. He is telling us that we are saints. Lest we get chuffed at the idea that we are saints, lest we think too highly of ourselves and lose touch with the precious gift of humility, which I think is another of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think Paul means that you and I are potential saints. In other words, we are saints in process. Paul offers a note of clarification when he describes saints as, quote, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And this raises an interesting question. What would it mean to be faithful in Christ Jesus? Paul does not describe a saint as one who has lived a perfect life, as one who has done or is doing great deeds, as one who performs miracles like miraculous healings or walking on water. For those of you who have a tendency toward perfectionism, try to live by this impossible and psychologically unhealthy standard, let me repeat this. Paul does not describe a saint as one who has lived a perfect life. 
one who has done or is doing great deeds, or one who performs miracles like miraculous healings or walking on water. A saint is, quote, one who is faithful, unquote. A saint is one who is in Christ Jesus. Paul's use of the preposition in is deeply meaningful. The faithful are in Christ Jesus. Remember how, as recorded in the Gospel of John, Jesus promised that when we die, he will take us into himself, that where he is, we may be also. Paul is telling us that we don't need to wait until we die to be where Jesus is. We can be in Christ Jesus today. Paul then describes the blessings that come to those who are saints. Those who are faithful in their relationship with Christ Jesus may not be blessed with material wealth, but they will be rich in the spirit. Paul tells us we are already blessed, already gifted by God. All we need to do is realize it. Forgive me, but this sounds a lot like the Buddhist teaching that we all have a divine Buddha nature within us. I would push this a little further and suggest that all sentient beings are incarnations of this Buddha nature. All we have to do is wake up, realize this, and live it out in our daily life. This is what it means to be enlightened. And this is how we incarnate the kingdom of God here on earth. Some people remind themselves of the grace of God by keeping what is called a blessings journal. They spend time at the beginning of every day writing down what they experience as God's blessings. If we did this, we would probably be surprised at how blessed we really are. Also, after listing all our blessings, then our little aches and pains, the people whom we find annoying, or the things like the weather, the traffic, closing of Christmas tree shops, recent rulings of the Supreme Court, and the standing of both the Red Sox and the Yankees and the American League East, little things like this that don't go as we would like wouldn't seem that overwhelming. It would put things in perspective. In the first chapter, Paul tells us that because God has adopted us as his children through Christ, we have redemption as God's own children. I think when Paul uses the word redemption or redeemed, he doesn't mean that we are saved, that all our sin has been washed away. He means that things are restored to their proper position. What is our true or proper position? It is to be children of God, to be incarnations of God. When we live in sin, when we are self-centered and caught up in grasping, we are not in our true state. When we cherish a false sense of superiority, when we feel superior to people of different races, ethnic groups, sexual orientations, or religions, when we look down on our brothers and sisters, we are not in our true state. When we are not in our true state, we find ourselves filled with anxiety, fear, anger, and a fruitless addiction to power and control. This is what it means to be fallen. To be redeemed is to be restored to our true state, 
to be restored to our right mind, just as the prodigal son was redeemed when he returned home and experienced his father's unconditional love. Just as the woman caught in adultery was redeemed when Jesus, who saved her from being stoned to death, told her to go and sin no more. Some suggestions, tradition suggests that this woman may have been Mary Magdalene. When we are redeemed, our lives are no longer centered in ourselves. They are centered in God. If faith is the quality of our relationship with God, then faith must give rise to good works. It cannot not give rise to good works. Faith leads us into a caring, compassionate, and peace-filled life. Finally, Paul gives thanks for the faithfulness of his parishioners. He expresses his thanks for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and for the love that they show to each other. This is a reminder of what our church is all about. We are called to deepen our relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are also called to love one another. Jesus tells us that it is easy to love people who love us. He tells us that it is easy to accept people who look like us and who believe what we believe. This requires no great act of faith. It is much more difficult to tolerate, accept, and perhaps even love those whom we find difficult or annoying. It is much more difficult to accept and love people who are not like us. It is much more difficult to accept and love those whom Jesus refers to as the least of these. Yet this is exactly what Jesus calls us to do. Paul then tells us how we can do this. The Christian life, the kind of Christian outlet, outreach that he calls us to, is not an onerous task. It is a life that is grounded in a depth and breadth of love that finds expression in acts of care and compassion. How can we live this kind of life? Here is what I think is the true goal of chapter 1. Paul tells us that we need to see, quote, with the eyes of our heart and light. We know that we see with our eyes. Did you know that we can also see through our heart? And that the two ways of seeing, the two ways of thinking, might not be the same. Blaise Pascal, in his Pensées, writes of an intelligence de cœur, an intelligence of the heart. Pascal tells us that this is a type of intelligence, quote, of which the brain knows nothing, unquote. There are two ways of seeing. When we see through the lens of our ego, we see the world from our own perspective, through the lens of self-concern. This leads us to be critical and judgmental of those who are different from us, of those who do not meet our standards or our needs. The other way of seeing is seeing through God's eyes. When we do this, we see others as Christ sees them. We see our husband or wife, our children, our parents, even our stupid and annoying relatives as Christ sees them. When we do this, we see, quote, with the eyes of our heart and light, unquote. This enables us to discover or rediscover Christ not only in the least of these, but also in those close to us. 
Have you noticed that sometimes it is more difficult to see Christ in our stupid and annoying relatives or the person on the other end of the political spectrum than it is in the drunken, drug-addicted, homeless person at the intersection of mass and caste? This is what it means to be enlightened. It means to see with the eyes of our heart enlightened. It means to see other people as God sees them. It means to see ourselves as God sees us. It means to see through the eyes of love. Paul calls us to remember who we are. We are children of God made in the image of God. Christ as the Holy Spirit dwells within us. There's an interesting parallel here, again, in the teachings of Tibetan Buddhism. Tibetan Buddhism teaches that we need to experience what is called bodhicitta, which roughly translates as an enlightened mind. Bodhicitta is the experience of an open, kind, and compassionate heart. Bodhicitta is the opposite of the replacement theory views that were espoused by the white supremacists who recently received 90 consecutive life terms for killing 23 Latino immigrants in a Walmart in El Paso, or the actions of the men addicted to power and violence who, over the 4th of July weekend, randomly killed 20 people and wounded 126 in Shreveport, Louisiana, Philadelphia, and Baltimore, in Fort Worth, in Lansing, Michigan, in Wichita, Kansas, and in Tampa, where a seven-year-old boy was fatally shot after two groups of people started arguing over the reckless driving of a jet ski. To put things in perspective, in the country, the continent of Australia, there were no shootings, no mass killings this past week. In fact, there has only been one mass shooting in Australia in the last 27 years. This is because their government, shocked by a mass shooting which killed 35 people in a cafe in Tasmania in 1996, passed some very strict gun regulations. Could it be that our nation is off-center? Tibetan Buddhism teaches that bodhicitta is a hidden potential in every one of us. It is like a diamond that has been covered by mud. If we remove the mud, the diamond shines forth in all its glory. All we have to do is wash off the mud of our egocentric, selfish, and self-serving focus. The mud that causes so much suffering for us and for those around us. Like a precious diamond, like the pearl of great price, like the philosopher's stone, like the treasure hidden in the field, like the alchemist's gold, bodhicitta is always there. It is our deepest, truest nature. In Christian terms, it is our soul. According to Tibetan Buddhism, when we experience bodhicitta within ourselves, we immediately realize that this spark of divinity is also within every other human being, within every sentient being. To see the spark of divinity within everyone, or as a Christian would say, to see Christ in everyone is to see with the eyes of our heart in light. 
Paul then closes this first chapter of his letter to the Ephesians by wishing his parishioners shalom, the experience of peace. This is what Christ promises to all who are faithful in him, the peace that passes all understanding. As we go through life, if we, see every, we can see everything and everyone with our normal, everyday lives. If we do this, I dare say we won't see very much. It won't look like much of a world. If, however, we could see through the eyes of faith, if we could see with the eyes of our heart and light, we may be able to glimpse Christ in the strangest places and people. If we could see with the eyes of our heart and light, we will see other people differently. If we see with the eyes of our heart enlightened, we will also see ourselves differently. We will see others and ourselves through the eyes of love. If we experience this, the greatest of all God's blessings, the blessing of an enlightened heart, we will truly transform or redeem our lives, our family, our church, our nation, and the world in which we live. Let us pray. Will God shine your light in our darkness? Wake us from our slumber. Transform us in such a way that both our minds and our hearts will be awakened, will be enlightened. And that seeing deeper into you, into ourselves, and into our brothers and sisters, we will both hear your call and respond to it as disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. That our experience of your presence, of your love, guide us back to our true center. Gently guide us back to our true center as often as we go astray. Then let us incarnate the acceptance and love that you manifest toward us in our relationships with all your children. We ask this in the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As we reflect upon the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his parishioners in Ephesus, we will find the importance of Christian stewardship woven throughout the letter. Included in Paul's teaching, his preaching, his theology, we find the injunction that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul attributes the saying to Jesus. He tells his parishioners, quote, you know for yourselves that I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions. In all this, I have given you an example that by such work we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus. For he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Even though this guideline for living, which Paul attributes to Jesus, cannot be found in the Gospels, I believe that Jesus said it. Remember, Jesus said a lot that was not captured by the four gospel writers. I also believe that what Paul tells his parishioners is true. When we receive something, it changes us. When we give something, it not only changes us, it changes the world. In our morning offering, in our pledge to the church, in our mission offering, and in all we do for others in our daily life, let us change, let us transform both ourselves and the world. For this is what it means to have an enlightened heart. Let us pray. Eternal God, we thank you for men and women of faith who have answered your call throughout the centuries. 
Fill us with such a deep love for you that we may respond to your call by offering our lives and our possessions for the healing of the world. We ask this in the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.